So today for the sermon, you may remember from last week that, uh, as I mentioned, if you, if you listen to the sermon, watch the sermon, uh, I had planned on starting a new sermon series, but just sort of felt led by, by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, just to sort of go in a little bit of a different uh, direction. So now you're probably thinking, okay, time to, to start that new sermon series. And we are going to be starting a new sermon series, just not that one. I guess the Holy Spirit's just sort of been leading in a whole host of different ways in my life in regard to sort of sermons and preparation. And so the series that I had planned, we're still going to do it, but we're going to sort of push that off to the summer. And I just sort of felt led to do something a little bit different, which was really what might, in a sense, sort of seem like a bunch of miscellaneous sermons, right? We're not going to, it's a series, but it might seem like they're all sort of different topics. It's not like we're going to go through a certain book of the Bible or focus on one theme and sort of flesh that out over a whole series. Uh, but really, the, the overarching theme is that I want to preach, and I'm going to be preaching in this series on things that I really feel the Holy Spirit laying on my heart to share about and talk about and, and preach to, to this congregation uh, and it's not to say that, oh, other sermons aren't led by the Holy Spirit, and, and certainly they are. As I'm planning out sermon series, I'm always in prayer and sort of looking to, to be led and directed by the Holy Spirit, even as we're looking at a certain book or maybe it's a certain theme, a marriage series or whatever it might be. Don't think that those aren't Spirit-led, the leads in the planning of sermon series, but then there are some times where uh, the Spirit just leads in different ways and says, you know, put, put your sermon series on hold, what you had planned. That can be good for another time, but, but this is what I want you to preach on now. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a, a little series here just looking at things that I really feel the Holy Spirit laying on my heart to, to really share with the church. And so in a sense, we're sort of starting this series this week, but in a sense, it really started last week since that's in effect what I did last week. So we're, we're going to be looking at the series really just being led by the Spirit and, and focusing on what I think the Spirit's really calling us to, to take a look at and be impacted by and, and, and hear. So today, we're going to be taking a look at the subject, the topic of really being totally all out for the Lord, sold out for Him, never looking back. That, that's really what I want us to, to take a look at and just say, you know, we don't want to be lukewarm in our faith. We don't want to be lukewarm for the Lord, sort of. Uh, divided in our commitment or devotion to him, but to say, no, I'm all in. I'm going to be totally sold out for the Lord, never looking back, not, not turning, looking back at my former way of life and saying, oh boy, that, that former way of living looks nice. I, I'd sort of like to continue to live in that, but to say, no, Lord Jesus, God, you are everything to me. You're all to me. And, and no more looking back. I'm all for you, going to live sold out for you. So that's what we're going to take a look at, and toward that end, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, so you can flip there now in your Bibles, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, but we're not going to quite dive into that passage just yet. We'll get there, but I want to take a, a little moment and, and sort of speak to, well, you know, how sort of the, the Holy Spirit really laid it on my heart to, to talk about this subject and to really preach on this, this Sunday. And so this week, as I was, you know, initially planning on picking up this new sermon series that we're actually now going to be doing in the summer, as I was sort of thinking about that and planning that, uh, I sort of got news of something that had taken place. It, it sort of relates to somebody that I went to, to seminary with, so I'm sort of going to back up and, and really share this story of someone that I went to seminary with at, at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I was there back in 08, 2008 to 2011. Uh, this person's name is Joyce Lynn. She always went by Joy. Uh, we started the same year. She took longer. I did sort of the full-time track of finishing it in three years, a Master of Divinity. She sort of spread that out over uh, a, a longer period of time, but ultimately did finish and get her, her Master of Divinity. But I sort of want to share 
uh, her story a little bit. I can even remember being in classes with her, Greek class, Hebrew class. I, I remember actually Liz and Joy and myself being in, in Hebrew one class together. Uh, but I, I can't claim that, oh, we were super tight, super close friends, but I certainly knew her and knew her well enough, and she was somebody who was uh, certainly very bright and, and had a, a real love for, for the Lord, a profound love for the Lord and faithfulness to Him, and just a really kind person who just wanted to, to serve the Lord faithfully, loved Him, loved others, uh, and just wanted to, to live her life for the Lord. Uh, and she was somebody who, to, to sort of back up even before her seminary days, very bright person, went to MIT, got her undergraduate degree there, bachelor's in software engineering, got a master's in software engineering as well at MIT and pursued that career in computers and certainly was successful in, in that and, and could have easily said, you know, I have this cushy life. Things are comfortable. You know, I'm smart. I've got a nice job. It pays well. Everything's easy just sort of pursue what is in many ways sort of the American dream. You know, I got a nice job, I can go and find, you know, a significant other, maybe have a couple kids, and just sort of coast through life and have it easy, right? But, but that wasn't God's calling on her life. God was calling her into ministry, so she said, hey, you know, all these other plans that I may have had, this career that I have, you know, I'm going to put that in the rearview mirror and not look back and just, just go forward and faithfully serve the Lord out of love for Him. And so that meant going to, to seminary to get the training and, and the education there. But while she was there, she didn't feel necessarily called into maybe more typical ministry, sort of you know, local church, pastoral ministry as I'm in. Uh, but, but sort of based on her, some of her, her loves in life, certainly serving the Lord. The Lord was the greatest love in her life, and, and, and so she wanted to serve him. But she also loved computers. That's why she, she majored in that and got her degrees in that and certainly had great, great skill set in that area. Also always loved flying, flying planes. That was something that she loved to do. And, and wound up getting connected with, uh, while she was in seminary with Mission Aviation Fellowship, uh, which is this organization that's obviously about flying planes, as you'd expect, Mission Aviation Fellowship. Uh, in a sense, they're sort of the supply chain for missions work that's happening way out in the bush, out in the boonies, in these remote villages. Uh, that's sort of their thing. It, it, sort of they fly out to where these, these, this missions work is taking place, way out in no man's land. Right? The, the, for that missions work to take place, there's a need for supplies, whether that's uh, Bibles, whether it's just sort of medical supplies, because often that's what goes hand in hand with that sort of uh, missions work, or if they're starting schools as well, school supplies, all of that. Uh, and they need that. And it's not easy to get all those supplies way out into nowhere in the jungle. And so they need the planes to be able to do that. And so she got connected with this uh, ministry and really felt the calling from, from God to, to be one of these pilots for this organization. So she trained with them, uh, got sort of all of the licensing for flying that she needed, all that stuff, checked off all the boxes, got her Master of Divinity, all this. Uh, and not only did she fly things out to these remote locations, but also based on all of her computer skills, uh, you know, there's a need certainly in these remote locations to stay connected with sort of the home base. And how are you going to do that? Well, certainly satellite internet is a way to be able to do that. And so she uh, had a role in sort of organizing all of the, the tech side of things, the computers, all of the connections with that to, to sort of keep all of the communications running between the home base and all of these remote locations and, and so forth. And so that was her job. That was her calling. Uh, and she worked out in Indonesia uh, on the island of New Guinea, but not the eastern side that's the nation Papua New Guinea, but on the western side that's part of Indonesia in, in the province of Papua there. And so she was flying planes there. That was her calling again, sort of leaving all of the, the cushy life that she had, all of the comforts, uh, leaving family behind, friends behind, just recognizing this is God's calling on my life. 
He's everything to me. I'm just sold out all for the Lord, all in, never looking back, and I'm just going to be faithful to him in his calling. And she certainly was. And uh, on Tuesday, early in the morning, she had one of her flights that she was going to be taking to one of the remote villages. Uh, shortly after taking off, there were mechanical failures and difficulties. She radioed in, um, but, but wasn't able to solve the issues and ultimately crashed into a lake and, and lost her life. Uh, and, and I think of that, you know, and as I think of that, I, I really, I think often our, our first thought is to take a look and say, what a tragedy, you know, someone who's only 40 years old and winds up dying in this, you know, horrible crash. And yet, I look at it, and I look at it more deeply and say, what a glorious thing, right? To, to truly live all in for the Lord, not looking back, right? Sold out for God, saying, all that I care about in every moment of every day is just living for my God, my Lord, my Savior, and even not only that, but ultimately to lay down one's life, to give one's life in service to the Lord, and what a way to go. No better way to go than that, serving the Lord faithfully. And so I want to, as we sort of talk about this, and we'll use her as an example, we'll, we'll take a look at some other examples as well. We're going to look at the life of George Whitfield and sort of hold that up as talk about living all in for the Lord. Because as I said, you know, as we look at that story of, of Joyce Lynn, often I think our first thought is to say, what a tragedy, and yet I want to say, let's flip it and say, what a glorious thing to do that, to give one's life for the Lord, to live for the Lord, and to say, really, the tragedy is not that, but the tragedy is the reality that for so many Christians, I'll sort of speak of the American church, because I know the American church better, it doesn't mean that it's not present uh, in other countries as well, but the real tragedy is in instances like this of someone giving their life in service to the Lord, that's a glory, but the real tragedy is the overwhelming majority of Christians who aren't living sold out for the Lord, who aren't all in, who aren't saying, I'm never looking back, I, I don't care about that former life that I had or, or anything about it, I don't care about the worldly things, the materialism, I don't care about any of that, I just care about the Lord and I'm all in for him. The reality is the overwhelming majority of Christians are not living that way and that's the real tragedy and I want to talk about that. And so let's turn now to Luke chapter 9. Verses 57 through 62. And let me read it for us. And here's what it says. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, him being Jesus. So someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests and has nowhere to lay his head. Are you saying, you're saying you're going to follow me. I want you to understand what that's going to entail. It's, it's not going to mean that everything's just easy-peasy and comfortable, right? That's not what it's going to mean. Hey, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And if you're going to follow me, expect that. So he's just sort of laying it out. Here's, here's the cost of following me. And then it goes on, verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That is, leave the spiritually dead to bury their own physically dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Right? And I don't want us to look at this and take some sort of legalistic view and say, well, I guess what Jesus is saying here is, if you're really going to follow him, you'll never take the time to bury your father or mother when they die. That's by no means what's, what's intended here. And I would say certainly the general norm would be that God would want us to do that, to, to in love give a, a proper burial to our parents, right, out of love for them. 
But Jesus here, he sees through to this person's heart. He sort of sees the idol that, that is in this person's life. He recognizes that for this person, right, he comes to him and says, follow me. But he, he sees what's in this man's heart when he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. In this person's heart, what's first is not God. It's not Jesus. It's not going and following him faithfully. It's not like, Lord, you're everything to me. You hold that, that first place in my life, my heart, right? But rather it's, yeah, okay, I, maybe I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, but you're still secondary. My family is my priority. My family is my great love, and I need to sort of carry out my loving responsibilities to my family, bury my father. That's the issue here. It's not about whether or not you should bury your father when he dies, but it's about priorities. And Jesus recognized this pro- person's priorities were out of whack, and so he sort of, in a powerful way, addresses that issue and says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, right? Your family should be your priority, but I need to be your priority. So go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then reading on, verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Right? And again, it, it's not to say we should take this overly legalistically and say, I guess, if, you know, if you really love the Lord and you're going to follow him, don't even take the time to say goodbye to anyone, right? I'm sure looking at the example of Joyce we talked about, I would imagine she probably said goodbye to family and friends and undoubtedly with technology that we have nowadays kept in contact with them and so forth, right? In general, that's going to be what God wants is in love for family to go and, and say farewell if you're going to be leaving them for a prolonged period of time. But again, this comes down to, to priorities. And he recognizes, Jesus recognizes where this person's heart really lies, right? What, what idol really lies in this person's heart? What is first in his life? And Jesus recognizes, you know, yet yeah, you're saying, I will follow you, Lord. But really, you know, you're going to come along and claim that you're going to follow me. But all the while, you're going to be looking back. You're going to be looking back, right, at your family and saying, they're first in my life. I really miss them. I wish I could be with them, right? Jesus isn't the priority in this person's life, in this person's heart, but rather it's his own family. That's the reality, reality of it. And Jesus addresses this with, with this wonderful imagery from, from farming, right? He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the same way that sort of doing this in a farming way, if you sort of put your hand to the plow, you're going to go and you're going to plow, thinking of farming and so forth, and as you're trying to do that, you're going to be seeking to make nice straight lines as you're plowing and probably parallel lines one after another appropriately spaced. If you're going to do that faithfully and do a good job of that, you can't be looking back. You can't be saying, I'm going to plow straight and I need to have a straight line here. But all the while you're looking back, you're going to be all over the place plowing ineffectively saying it, it just doesn't fit. That's certainly imagery that in Jesus' day anyone would have understood. You can't, you can't plow and be looking backwards. It doesn't fit. In the same way, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow, that is, no one who, who says he's going to follow me, no one who says, yep, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I'm, I'm all in, uh, I'm going to be yours and, and be faithful to you. No one who does that, who says that, and yet the whole time then he's looking back, right, looking back at his former life, all of those things that he used to love and say, boy, I really love those more than Jesus. I wish I were back there. I wish I were still living in that. You know, for this man, it's, it's family in particular that's that issue. For all of us, it could be different things. But what Jesus is saying is, if you say you're going to follow me, 
But ultimately, your heart's not for me, right? And really, you love something else more than me, whatever that is, whether it's family, whether it's yourself, whether it's comforts or fame or power or money, whatever it is. If you say you're going to follow me, but you love something more than me, and you're just sort of looking back lovingly toward that thing, with that thing as your priority in life, the reality he's saying is, then you don't really belong to me. You're not really a follower of mine, right? He says, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not fit for it. You're not really a member of it. You have no belongingness in the kingdom of God. Because you don't really love me. I'm not really your God. You're not really following me. You're you're living for that other thing. That's still the priority in your life. And I would say that there's a whole host of people who attend churches. I know now people, for the most part, aren't attending churches in the literal physical sense, but sort of watching sermons or whatnot, or even outside of the pandemic, who fill the pews, the seats in churches. There's a whole host of people who fit this category. People who would claim to be Christians. Who'd say, oh, oh, I've chosen to follow the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. But, but the reality is, they're still looking back, right? They're like the people that Jesus described, putting the hand to the plow and yet looking back. And Jesus is saying, you're not fit for the kingdom. You don't really belong, right? There are Christians all over the place making that claim. Sure, I believe in Jesus. I've trusted in him. But the reality is they don't have real saving faith. They haven't truly repented and trusted in him. And instead, there's something else in their life that really holds that primary place in their life, in their heart, something that they are committed to, something they love more than the Lord. And that's their functional God, their functional deity that they worship and they live for. And so Jesus is saying, then you don't really belong to me. But I would say there is sort of a sense, using very much similar imagery as, as Jesus uses here, I'd say that there's also a sense in which there are many people who sit in the pews or in the chairs in, in church uh, who fit maybe another category. They truly do believe in the Lord. They truly do have saving faith. They truly do love him first and foremost. Their, their heart attitude really is, Lord, I love you above all else. I give my life to you. You're everything to me. I believe in you, trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. They have true saving faith, but the reality is they're all too lukewarm in their faith. The way I would put it is sort of they've set their hand to the plow and said, yep, I'm going to follow you. And, and it's genuine, and they truly are followers of the Lord Jesus. They truly belong to him. And yet, they're sort of glancing back in a sense. They take these little glances back. It's not that they look back in the full sense that Jesus is talking about here that characterizes those who don't really belong to Jesus at all. But I think that there's a sense in which Christians, again, using this imagery that Jesus uses, can say, hey, I'm going to set my hand to the plow. I'm following you. I love you. You're my Lord. You're my God. And yet, all the while, they're still sort of taking that glance back and saying, I still love worldly way of living. I I still want to live in this sin. I I still want to live for myself and my own comforts and my own pleasures, right? There's still sort of a a little bit of a division of commitment uh, in that regard, saying, yeah, on the whole, you're first in my life, Lord, but I still want to do all these things, right? There's still a, a lukewarmness in regard to their heart for the Lord. doesn't mean that they don't truly belong to him. And I would say that that is what characterizes the overwhelming majority of Christians, There's just sort of this lukewarmness that characterizes much of the American church where we say, yep, I'm going to put my hand to the plow, I'm going to follow Jesus, and yet in reality we still on the whole in our daily living just want to live for ourselves. We want to carry out our own agenda. And we need to be challenged to say, no, we're called to set our hand to the plow and never look back. To say, I don't care about myself. I don't care about the things I used to care about. I don't care about anything but the Lord. I just want to live all in for him, sold out for him, never looking back. Just every moment, every day, I want to live for the Lord. 
And again, using the example that we took a look at, Joycelyn, I think she wonderfully exemplifies that. That isn't to say that you couldn't think of plenty of other examples of people who've lived that out. She's just one that's particularly relevant as just this past week. She, she gave her life in service to the Lord. Uh, but I think there are many examples, and maybe you could think of people in your own life, but people who say, you know, I just want to live the whole of my life all in, fully devoted to the Lord, not, not living my own agenda, not doing my own thing, but in every moment of every day of my life, I just want to live all in for God, for Him and for nothing else, never looking back. And I want to take a look at the example of George Whitfield. When I think of, of sort of being sold out for the Lord, all in, just living every moment faithfully for the Lord, not caring about oneself, one owns, uh, one's own agenda and comforts, uh, Whitfield is certainly one who rises to the top of my mind. Uh, and, and Whitfield, I would say, is very much like a somewhat modern day, you know, a couple hundred years ago, uh, 1700s, but still remotely modern day version. Uh, he was someone who was just consumed with a passion for the Lord, a love for him, and just wanted to live every moment for the Lord, not caring about himself. He didn't care about self. All he cared about was God and serving him, serving his church, serving his kingdom, right? And he just went all over the place proclaiming the truth of the gospel that more and more and more might enter into God's kingdom and receive life in Christ. And I want to read a little bit about Whitfield. Here are just some facts that really highlight this, this wonderful level of devotion and dedication to the Lord, just living all out for God. And here's some information about George Whitfield. Over the 34 years between his conversion and death, and his death happened in 1770 in Newburyport, so just around the corner in, in the state of Massachusetts, right here, it is calculated, so in those 34 years, it is calculated that he preached around 18,000 sermons. Actually, if one includes all of the talks that he gave, he probably spoke about a thousand times a year during his ministry. Think about that. He, he gave roughly three times a day, and these weren't like little 30-minute sermons or whatnot, 40 minutes. I mean, they'd go on for hours and hours. And again, three times a day. You ask your average pastor, and he'd say after preaching, you know, a 40-minute sermon or something, and maybe he preaches it once on Sunday if there's one service, or maybe he'd preach, you know, maybe there's an early morning service and then one a little bit later uh, in the morning. And even after that one or two, I kind of feel spent. I've just sort of been pouring myself out. And that's just once a week. Whitfield said, no, 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 I can do that three times a day and go on for hours with each and every sermon that he preached. And then going on, moreover, many of his sermons were delivered to massive crowds that numbered in the tens of thousands. In Whitfield's day, he was really a pioneer. It was almost unthinkable in his day to just go out into the open, out into the open air, and just preach, and preach the gospel. It was almost viewed as if, like, it would be a sin to do that outside of the walls of a church, right? There's very much a, a traditional mindset, and, and it, that, all of that stuff should happen within the walls of a church, in a church building, but, but Whitfield realized, no, no, you know, I, I'm going to go everywhere. I'm going to go to the people wherever they are and wherever the largest crowds can gather that, that many might hear. I'm going to go there and out in the open proclaim the gospel. And, and tens of thousands of people would come time and again. And so he just reached so many people. And just sort of reading on a little bit more about Whitfield and his life. In addition to his preaching throughout England, he regularly itinerated throughout Wales, visited Ireland twice, uh, and journeyed 14 times to Scotland. He crossed the Atlantic 13 times, stopping in Bermuda for 11 weeks, and preached in virtually every major town. 
I mean, he had a huge impact on, at that time, the colonies, uh, and, and of course, ultimately, the United States of America, though that happened shortly after his death. But think about this, that he went and spoke to so many people. What we actually realized, these are the best estimates, that about 80% of all American colonists heard him preach at least once. And that's remarkable. You have to realize this is in a day and age where it's not like he could just hop on the radio or go on television and in one sitting the whole nation could go and hear him. He had to go on horseback and just go from town to town to town, one after another, preaching the gospel. And he did this faithfully, time after time after time. Think of the labor that that involved. Not only did he preach three times a day for hours on end, but also in between, he had to go from town to town on horseback, told that that took, and yet he did that faithfully, ultimately reaching 80% of all American colonists. Think of the impact that he had. I mean, this was a man who was sold out for the Lord. And again, he, he did this in a day and age in which just to go from one town to the next was a big undertaking. To read on a little bit more about him, brutal mobs sometimes attacked Whitfield and his followers, maiming people. Whitfield received three letters with death threats, and once he was stoned until nearly dead. It does sound an awful lot like Paul, going all over the place. It wasn't the Roman world, it was sort of the British world, but going all over the place, people at odds with him, right? Uh, even being stoned, uh, and yet just faithfully going and serving the Lord and proclaiming the gospel, right? He didn't care about himself, he didn't care about his own agenda. Right? The Lord was everything to him, and he was just all in, sold out for, for the Lord, never looking back and saying, I'm just going to live every moment of my life for him. Right? In a given week, to give one more statistic, in a given week, he often preached a dozen times or more and spent 40 or 50 hours in the pulpit. I mean, think about that. He spent 40 or 50 hours in the pulpit. That's about a typical work week, and that's not how much he worked in a week. That's the number of hours that he was actually in a pulpit, or if this was open air preaching, that same thing. That was the amount of time he spent actually preaching. Never mind the time he spent preparing those sermons. Never mind uh, time that he would have spent just in all sorts of other things, going from town to town, the time it would have taken with just all of his travels, uh, all of the time that would have sucked up, or just uh, even ministering to people in a more personal level, pastoral care, which he certainly did as well. This is just the time that he spent preaching, and that's a normal person's work week, and yet right, that was just the time that he spent say, man, you actually look at the numbers and you sort of scratch your head and say, is that even humanly possible? And it seems almost impossible. And clearly the, the only logical conclusion is he did this not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But this was a person that, that I, this is what I want to highlight. This is someone who was sold out for the Lord. This isn't someone who was sort of wishy-washy in his commitment. This isn't someone who was lukewarm, who said, yeah, I, I really believe in the Lord. I'm really saved. But I just want to spend a lot of my time just sort of doing my own thing, you know, uh, just sort of about my own agenda, planning my retirement. Nothing wrong with these things intrinsically, but sort of just going about my own agenda with that as my priority. It, it, it wasn't a person like that. This was a person who said, God's all that matters, and I just want to live every moment for him and live it to the fullest, just all in, sold out, never looking back. And I want to tell one last story about Whitfield as recorded in a biography, and here's what it says. It says, Richard Smith, a young man who traveled with him, meaning traveled with, with Whitfield, one of his traveling companions, reported that Whitfield awoke about two in the morning. This is a specific day. This day he woke at two in the morning and seemed to pant for breath. A good pulpit sweat today, he said, may give me relief. I shall be better after preaching. Smith told him he wished he would not preach so often, but Whitfield answered wear out than rust out. 
And ultimately, that same day, that morning at 7 a.m., he passed away and went to be with the Lord. But I think about that quote, I had rather wear out than rust out. When I look at the American church, I see a whole host of Christians rusting out. And that's the tragedy, right? We ought to be tools in our Lord and Savior's hands, and yet we're just sitting on the shelf, rusting away, wasting away our time. And Whitfield says, no, no, that, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to rust out, right? I would rather wear out. I would rather be that tool used in a great way by the Lord, for the Lord, until ultimately my body is worn out and fails and I go to be with him. And that ought to be the mindset of every Christian. We shouldn't be rusting out, sitting on the shelf, but we should be living every moment sold out, all in for the Lord, never looking back, saying, I just want to wear out, as Whitfield did. I want to be used by you in a powerful way, Lord, moment after moment. I just want to live every moment, every day for you until ultimately one day my body is worn and done and I go to be with you, right? As we look at these examples, I want to challenge us to follow in the example that they set for us, whether that be Whitfield, whether it be Joyce Lynn, as I shared about, whether it be someone else in your life that maybe you can think of, someone like the Apostle Paul or in Scripture, whoever it is, but think of someone who's just sold out for the Lord. They truly are living every day, every moment. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, but on the whole, they are living every moment to the fullest for the Lord, sold out for Him, fully committed to Him, saying, you're all that matters. You're I care about is just living for you and serving you, never looking back, all in for you. And I want to challenge us to really faithfully live that out. And if we do, what's going to be the impact of it? Most significantly, man, God is going to be glorified in it, right? If the church is filled with a whole host of George Whitfields, just like them, God is just going to be glorified in their lives. He's going to be glorified through it all. But also the church is going to be impacted. The world will be impacted in a wonderful, positive way. But also there's the reality that there's going to be great blessing and joy for us. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that Whitfield's life was easy. He coasted through it and it was filled with just comfort after comfort. Quite the opposite. But even in the midst of the hardship and the struggles, there was unfathomable joy. A joy in the Lord just a joy in him and drawing near to him, a joy in, that comes from faithfully serving the Lord and knowing that we are, we are honoring him and we are doing his work, we are serving him faithfully. There's a joy and blessing that comes from that. So I want to challenge us not to set our hand to the plow and then be glancing back. I kind of want to do my own thing. Even though I've said that I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus, I still want to be about my own agenda. Not doing that, but setting our hand to the plow and saying, I'm never looking back, not once. I'm all in, sold out for the Lord. And I'm not going to rust out, but I'm going to wear out, just as Whitfield did, for God, for his glory, for the growth and edification of the church, and for my own joy and blessing. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these examples. People like Whitfield, or Joyce Lynn, or Paul the Apostle, and there's so many other great examples, many champions of the faith who have lived their lives to the fullest for you. When they set their hand to the plow, there was no looking back. How could they? They were consumed with wondrous love for you, a passion for you, a, a devotion to you, that they couldn't possibly look back, but could only be all in 
sold out for you. Give us that same heart. Give us that same passion. May we not be lukewarm any longer, but set us ablaze for you, Holy Spirit. And may we follow in the footsteps of people like Whitfield. And as we live all in for you, not looking back, may you use it for your glory, Lord. May you use it for the edification and growth of your church, your kingdom. And may we experience wondrous blessing and joy in it. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.